morning and welcome everyone. We're delighted to have you with us this morning. Uh, what, a, what a summer we've been having. You know, it's winding down and hard to believe we're only 47 days away from the first day of fall. And with fall, we think about school and knowing that uh, in 13 days, the Beaufort County School District will be back in session. And uh, speaking of children, I know a few that are back in school today. So schools winding up or winding ready to go and encourage you to uh, be careful and watch for school buses and children as they're out and about. You know, I can't let the moment pass this morning without uh, a special hats off and recognizing the Heritage Classic Foundation. Uh, the RBC, RBC Heritage is 250 days away. And uh, one or two days ago, it was announced that the RBC Heritage will be only one of only eight, one of only eight signature events uh, on the PGA Tour next year. So what does that mean? Well, to me, it means we'll have the uh, best golfers on the planet here. And that'll be the week after that other tournament that's just down the road a little bit, the Masters. And uh, so April 15th through the 21st, mark your calendars now. And once again, it'll be another great, great event. And a special shout out to Steve Wilmot, the Heritage Classic Foundation, all the volunteers and trustees that make this tournament one of the best of the best of the best on the PGA Tour. This morning, we've got a great lineup for you again, and I think it's time to, to get right to it. We all know that the cost of insurance remains top of mind with residents and businesses, and your chamber's looking at that issue and digging into it from several different angles. And for this month's Power Hour, we took it to the top. We're pleased to kick off Power Hour this morning with Michael Wise, the Director of South Carolina Department of Insurance. Michael is going to talk to us about what's happening in the market right now with affordability, and maybe as just importantly, the availability of insurance. He was appointed by Governor McMaster in the spring, and we're anxious to get his take on how South Carolina compares to other states and what's on the horizon for insurance rates. Uh, Michael, welcome. We're delighted to have you. And uh, uh, those of you who haven't sent in questions yet, I'll remind you to do that. And we've had several questions that have already come in. So Michael, we're looking forward to hearing from you. Well, well, thank you for the invitation to come speak. I'm happy to do that. I'm glad to be with you all this morning. Uh, you'll have to excuse the lighting in the background. I'm on the road right now, um, but I'm I'm happy to be here virtually. So uh, just briefly, I'll, I'll go over the coastal property market um, as we see it and, and provide just some updates there and overview and then take those questions. Um, right now, the, the coastal market um, is experiencing some issues, certainly. Um, you've probably seen that. We have seen the cost rise for insurance coverage. We've also seen some strain on availability in certain markets, um, particularly condo um, buildings right now. We, that's what we've heard a lot of and we've seen a lot of is that they're, they're having trouble finding coverage and it's often increasing in, in cost astronomically. Um, I'll go through a little bit of that and, and let me start by saying some of the reasons why insurance costs are, are going up. Um, we all see on the news these natural catastrophes that happen around the world. We see typhoons in South Korea, we see earthquakes um, in Turkey, we see wildfires in California, as well as the hurricanes that impact the Southeast. And th that's all connected these days. Um, the insurance companies buy something called reinsurance. And reinsurance is essentially insurance for insurance companies. And those reinsurers um, operate globally. And so they have experienced losses um, from events throughout the world. And as a result, they've, they've lost money and they've raised their prices to cover those losses. Um, and so the insurance companies that buy that reinsurance are paying more 
for it. And unfortunately, that means premiums are going up to cover those increased costs for the insurance companies themselves. Um, in addition to that, we've certainly seen claims in other states, um, in particular, especially Florida, last year with Ian, and that's ongoing. And so everything that impacts those companies that operate in South Carolina um, certainly is, is something we're aware of and we keep tabs on. And beyond that, we've seen a lack of reinsurance, what we call capacity. So investors and in reinsurance companies are less willing to put up their capital when it feels like a riskier investment, so where the reinsurers lost money. So that means there's less reinsurance available um, when there's less competition. As we all know, prices do tend to increase, so that's another pressure there. Um, we've also seen rating agencies downgrade some companies. Um, typically for a mortgage, you, you need an, for a federally backed mortgage, you need an A-rated um, carrier for your insurance. And so we've seen some ratings downgrade. So that's um, put a little bit of pressure there on availability in the market. And then we've also seen property values go up. So if the if your property value went from $500,000 to $600,000, then that's a 20% increase in coverage that you need. And it may not equate to exactly a 20% percent increase in your premiums that you're charged, it does have an upward effect on that, an upward pressure. And so that's impacted things. And then inflation in general, um, the, the labor and the materials cost to, to replace or repair um, anything these days, but particularly property, uh, has gone up uh, significantly over the last couple of years. And we, we don't have a crystal ball. We, we hope maybe that's um, starting to ebb a little bit, some of those pressures, but that is what's impacting um, coastal rates. Now, one thing to just keep in mind as the questions we get would be, well, there hasn't been a storm, um, maybe in South Carolina, that's had a widespread impact. Um, we haven't had a Hugo in a long time, uh, but we have had some other storms like Matthew and, and others uh, in the 2000s. And so, we we see those things happen, and um, we 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 do get those questions about profitability for insurance companies. Well, they they made a lot of money in in a year when we didn't have a storm. So the business model for property insurance companies is they tend to make more money in the years whenever there is no hurricane hitting uh, their covered area, and then whenever there is a, a storm that impacts significantly, they lose a lot of money. Um, some of that is is shouldered by the reinsurance companies, but then those those direct riders um, do do shoulder a lot of the burden themselves directly. And so we've we what we do um, as a regulator is we make sure that those companies in the good years are putting away money um, into reserves to pay claims, and also something called surplus. That's an additional um, uh, mechanism to have funds available to pay claims. And so essentially, it's a savings account for the insurance companies. And so they put away a lot of money in the the non-storm years, um, so that they have it for for the storm years, and that's something that I th we're trying to get the message out on. That is something that maybe um, somebody who's not in the insurance industry doesn't know about. Um, they just haven't been exposed to that. And so we we do look at those insurance companies and make sure that they have money to pay claims. That's the reason that insurance departments were first created is to address solvency issues of the insurance carriers for all lines of business. Um, and beyond that, we also do some other things. Of course, we uh, take care of our consumers if there are questions, um, whether it's personal lines or commercial lines of insurance. Um, feel free to call us and reach out with questions where we like to educate as much as we can. And we also um, take complaints so we can address those with the companies. Um, and then one, 
one of the things that's come up with the condos specifically is the, the type of insurance carrier that offers coverage. So there's three buckets, if you will. Um, and, and this is, uh, I, I'll try to take out some of the technical technical details here. Um, but so we have our, what we call admitted carriers that we regulate directly as the Department of Insurance. And those are the ones that, I won't say any names, but they they advertise during Super Bowls and on TV and and throughout on billboards. So those are the ones, those name brand companies, so to speak. And we regulate them. Um, we regulate them from a solvency perspective, from a rate perspective, um, and then some other ways as well. And so that's one bucket. The, another bucket on the other extreme is the South Carolina Wind and Hail Underwriting Association. That is the residual market, the market of last resort in the state for wind coverage along the coast. Um, so if your uh, standard homeowners carrier won't write you or commercial property carrier won't write your wind coverage, you can go to the wind pool and get that portion um, of your coverage uh, taken care of by them. And so then between those two, that something that serves as a, a, it's a niche market that, that provides some flexibility is the surplus lines market. Those are non-admitted carriers, so we don't regulate them. Um, it, it, they have more flexibility. The idea is that they can fill a gap between the admitted market and the residual market. And so these condo associations that are having a lot of difficulty um, are primarily dealing with the surplus lines market. And we can communicate with them, um, but we don't have any, any say in, in the rates they charge or in their solvency. There is regulation for them by the state in which they're based, uh, they're what we would call their domicile state. And so that's who regulates them. Um, they typically do it just from a financial standpoint to make sure the company's solvent. Um, but that is, that's something that we've gotten some questions about recently. And um, so I feel like it's helpful just to go ahead and address that up front. Um, and then from there, I'm happy to take questions. There's a lot we can cover. I have notes in front of me, um, but I, I think there are some questions. So I want to leave time for that. Very much. We appreciate that. And our first question today is coming from Tim. And Tim is, uh, first of all, saying fewer policies available and companies eliminating policies for areas impacted by natural disasters. Our policy increased by 54% in 2024. And with that, what's the best guess for increases over the next five years? So I can't predict everything that's going to happen, but I will say that we've heard some things that are promising um, about the reinsurance market in particular, that it may be cooling off some. Um, we'll, time will tell. Um, ultimately, we have heard, we, we've heard that from several different insurance companies. Uh, we've seen it in some of the trade press and we're, we're hopeful um, that, you know, that will happen and it will cool off, that maybe we can have a break from natural disasters worldwide, um, having such an impact as they have. We've seen other states are in worse circumstances um, than we are. Uh, California and Florida and Louisiana stand out. Florida and Louisiana have been impacted by hurricanes and a fair number of major insolvencies in their states. And California in particular has been in the news where some of their largest writers, I think three of their top 10 writers in the state have said they won't offer homeowners coverage anymore. And um, they, they they can't get the rate they need um, from the California Department of Insurance. And um, or that's what they've said. And so they've said we can't operate profitably. Um, we're losing money. So we're not going to do as much business in the state. And they pulled back from issuing new policies. Um, typically in a state, and we have this law too, where 
rates cannot be inadequate, excessive, or unfairly discriminatory. And so they can't be inadequate because you need to make sure the company can stay solvent, have money to pay claims. Um, they shouldn't be excessive and overpriced. And then unfairly discriminatory deals with things like you can't raid on um, someone's race or religion and protected classes like that. But we, we have heard stories about the, um, the rates going up by that much. Again, it's a combination of things from the reinsurance costs to um, your property values going up and needing more coverage and then just general inflation. Um, in the surplus lines market, competition is limited. And that also um, has a negative impact on pricing, which means meaning that it goes up. Michael, thank you for that. Our next question is coming from Max. And Max is asking, how are we planning to attract more insurance carriers to the area to help combat the rapidly and rapidly increasing prices of flood insurance costs? Sure. So with property insurance in general, we, we recruit as many carriers as we can. Um, some of these markets, there aren't many writers and they either choose to write it or they don't. Um, but we, we do have conversations with prospective carriers, with carriers that are already in the state about expanding their offerings. Um, so the things that we do to recruit, um, the biggest thing that we have going for us is just being open and being a good regulatory environment. Um, we're willing to have conversations with companies, uh, to pick up the phone, to send an email, um, to have in-person meetings. And that is some of the feedback that we get from a lot of carriers is you're willing to talk to us. And we appreciate that. And we don't always agree um, with maybe what an insurance company wants to do or how they view things, but we have dialogue and conversation. Communication is key. And that just that openness um, is, is very important to them. And so what we'll do is we'll look at carriers that are offering coverage um, in other states, specifically around the Southeast and hurricane prone states. And if they're not operating in South Carolina, then we try to find out why. And we cold call and we, we have those meetings and, and conversations to see if they'd be interested in operating in our state. And um, that we want competition. That is one of the most important things to a healthy insurance market. And flood insurance, we're, we're working to grow the private market. The National Flood Insurance Program, the federal program, does provide most of the flood insurance countrywide. And um, we have a significant number of policies uh, with them in the state. I think it last I saw was about 210,000 policies. That's a little bit dated, that number. But um, we're working to grow the private market. It has grown um, over the last few years. We've started collecting that data. And I, I don't have the numbers offhand, but it, it's seen significant growth since 2017. And we'll work to continue to, to add options to the market for policyholders. All right, Michael, thank you. Our next question is coming from Ethan. And uh, Ethan is asking if there's any if there's any danger of major carriers like Allstate or State Farm who left California uh, not writing policies in South Carolina? Sure. Um, that is definitely something that we don't want to see. Uh, our understanding is that's not the case, that they are here to write. Um, they, they do have limitations on how much they're willing to write uh, along the coast in wind-exposed areas. That's where the wind pool comes in. So um, that, that name brand carrier would would write the basic policy for fire and theft and liability and things like that, everything but the wind and hail coverage. And then the South Carolina Wind and Hail Underwriting Association would provide a coverage, provide a policy for coverage for the wind and hail portion. So I don't 
believe there's there's always a risk, certainly, but um, our understanding is they're here and they are are glad to be here and operating it within the state. All right, thank you. Let's uh, move on to our next question. That's coming from Terry. And Terry is asking if the Department of Insurance limits the amount of surplus a company can accumulate during the good year to pay for the bad years. Every company situation is different. And, and so what we do, it's, it's kind of a two-pronged approach. So we would look at their surplus and we'd also look at their rates if they're an admitted carrier, um, specifically for personal lines of business um, with the rates. And what they do is they submit a, a filing with us and it contains what the, the math says um, they, they need to do with their rates, um, whether it's an increase or a decrease, and then they have a proposal. It may or may not be exactly equal to um, what, what their indicated rate would be. And so I'm an actuary by trade, so I've looked at a lot of um, property and casualty rate filings over the years, and they provide data on their last three to five years and then projections typically. Um, and sometimes we, we think it's valid and we approve the filing as they submit it. There are other times whenever we, we don't agree on things and we don't believe that what they've um, provided warrants what they proposed. And so we have conversations with them and ultimately they, they amend the filing um, based on where we come down on it. But so there, there is that oversight as well um, to, to make sure that those rates aren't excessive. All right, sir, thank you. Uh, moving on to the next question from William. And William is asking, is there anything being done to prevent fraudulent wind and hail roofing claims from roofers? So that's a little bit, not a little bit, that is outside of our jurisdiction. Um, it is something that's come up over, over time, certainly, and something that we hear about. Um, we do have an insurance fraud unit. It would have to, so whatever they're doing would have to fall under insurance fraud specifically for us to prosecute. Um, and certainly there's got to be evidence and everything like that. But so we do have that unit that's, that's working hard um, on, on behalf of the citizens of the state. But as far as the roofers themselves, we don't have direct um, oversight um, whenever it comes to them. But we are aware of the issue and, and we're participating in conversations. Okay, thank you. Next question is coming from Olivia. And Olivia, Olivia is asking, do consumers have any resources for dramatic increases in insurance rates? So the biggest thing that we advise consumers to do is to shop around. In the, with the condo um, associations, we know that that's difficult, particularly for them right now um, with the lack of, of cares willing to write them. Um, but so with for homeowners market or auto or anything like that, where there's coverage widely available, we would we would encourage a consumer to find an agent that they trust who can shop around for them, find a coverage that fits their needs. Um, you'd be surprised how much money you can save. Um, and, and then some of the options that you can get that maybe one care offers and another one doesn't. Everyone um, has different financial needs. And so there's, there's not a standard, the products are similar, but they're not exactly the same. Um, so it's worth shopping around and, and that's what we encourage consumers to do. And if, if you're having difficulty and you need to find an agent, but you don't know who to talk to, we have a list of agents. We can't recommend policies or, or recommend companies certainly, um, but we do have a list of agents by county. And so if you contact us, we're happy to provide you with those names and contact information. 
All right, sir. Thank you. Next question is coming from John. And John is asking, are there any meaningful discounts for building uh, using more resilient materials in the, in, the, uh, in the region, in the coastal region? And with those materials being concrete block uh, or concrete, concrete walls, prefab, et cetera? Sure. Uh, good question. So it, it, it depends on your insurance carrier. Every carrier is required to offer what we call mitigation discounts. So if you mitigate the risk of, um, of damage from wind. And so those things may be impact resistant windows, hurricane shutters, uh, roof tie downs, all kinds of things. But I would advise um, checking with your agent or broker and maybe even your insurance company directly to see what, what they offer discounts for to make sure you don't go you know, spend money in doing something to fortify your structure. And then maybe that's not something that's recognized by the insurance carriers risk mitigation and you don't receive a discount. So I would strongly encourage um, a policyholder to check with their agent or broker. And again, maybe even their insurance carrier directly to see what would give them the most bang for their buck, essentially. Um, and we also have a South Carolina safe home program in the state, and it is a grant program for homeowners um, and it it offers matching in not there's two types of so matching and non-matching funding to to help with um, making some of those improvements those structural improvements to your home um, for residential property all right michael two more questions and uh, the next one is coming from kate and as kate kate is asking if you can get a list of agents you mentioned on online on your website Right. So uh, it, it's on the website. I believe if it's not on the website, then you can call us um, and we're happy to to um, provide you with that list. All right. Next question is coming from Andy and Andy is asking, will insurance company give homeowners consideration for major improvements such as uh, roof, roof, mechanicals, et cetera? Yes. So uh, again, it varies by the company, how much of a discount they give for each item and also the items that qualify. But um, just we, we certainly encourage you to reach out to your agent um, to find out more about what what the different companies that you have as options offer. Michael, you've been extremely informative this morning. We thank you for your time. We thank you uh, for what you're doing. And we all know that we've got a, a big challenge ahead of us. And we look forward to uh, seeing brighter things in the future regarding insurance rates. As do we. And thank you for the time this morning. I appreciate the invitation to come and chat for a little bit. All right. Thank you very much. Well, we're going to transition now. And, and uh, if, you, if you haven't driven down the road, um, Buckwalter lately, uh, you missed a lot that's going on out there. New restaurants, shops, and, and much, much more. Uh, Washington Square, the 35-acre development that's well underway. It's a mix of residential, commercial, along with green space. And here to tell us more about it is our good friend David Johnson, the principal with Spaceside Partners, uh, the group that's developing the project. David, always good to see you. Welcome, and uh, we thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, and thank you to the Chamber for having me and the, all of you who are, are uh, tuning in. And uh, uh, Kelly, I appreciate you taking care of the presentation here. So, um, so if, if you could flip forward one, Kelly, that'd be great. Um, I, we, uh, we start off with an idea uh, of that if we could create a village that basically um, had some green space and gathering spaces, we could have some interesting retail and entertainment and uh, 
that we could create a uh, an interesting project that people would want to come to. We could go forward, please, Kelly. Um, and that's where the whole that was the whole uh, point behind creating Washington Square. And as you can see, this is the master development plan. I think some of you have seen it in the past. It's, it's moved along uh, from where we where you some of you originally saw it uh, quite a bit. Uh, the whole idea was to center uh, this development around uh, a green, uh, a big green space. If you can go forward one, and we'll come back, Kelly. I'll just show. I, I have some photos. This is the this is the landscape square in the middle. We can go back now, please, um, to the master plan. And so, so I just want to walk through where we are, what's what's going on now, and I have some photos uh, after this that'll it'll kind of bring it. Those of you who hadn't been out. Um, there, there will be a connection. If you start from the left, there's a connection to the uh, Buckwalter Place, which is where the Kroger is, um, and and other things. The St. Joe's Medical Center. There, there'll be a connection there. That road will connect where they you see that arrow um, on the the the, uh, the the orange piece there on the as we come back from that road. That uh, it will be a Starbucks uh, is being planned and should start. Uh, in the next month or so. Across the street, uh, we have, or, or right next to that, as many of you have been to Low Country Fresh, which are, is a wonderful market and um, wonderful entrepreneurs that have, have started that. I think the chamber was, you know, has been very involved with that, which has been great. Um, across the street is our, our 58 townhomes that are well underway. Logan Development is doing that. It is, um, they, they're going to be 58. There are, I think they've sold around 20 already and they haven't finished. Uh, they're about halfway done with uh, construction there. Then coming to the to the right toward the square, um, the first building that's underway, many of you who may have seen is, is uh, the framing. <laughs> Amazing how quickly framing happens after it sits there, you know, with, the, with a lot of the the site work and there's a that'll be a three-story building which i'll talk about a little bit more that that l-shaped building on the square is what's the first building that's going up um, that building will be the next building will be flipped that building will be flipped onto the other side of the square that same l-shape on uh, to the other side of the square which is a combination of retail and re rental apartments um before i go too far the the we're planning uh the entrance street, which is Ludlow there on the, uh, to the, which is next to between Low Country Fresh and the building now going up is a planned retail, uh, mixed use retail and office with the possibility of some, some shared office uh, in that, uh, in that building. Um, and then there are various other uh, mixed use uh, projects that will be the other buildings that you see there. And the potential that square building in the back, people always ask about the potential there is is a boutique hotel with roughly 80, 80 to 100 rooms. So that's the that's the master plan. The current what we're currently working on is what we call Washington Square East, which is everything to the between Buckwalter Parkway and the square. So the, uh, the, that building I mentioned, uh, which is going up now that you see, um, I'm happy to, to also tell you that We've reached an arrangement. We've got a contract with Tesla uh, for them to put 16 charging stations in that first phase of the project. Um, and as you probably all, all probably know, I mean, Tesla is becoming the uh, the standard for all the electric vehicles now. So um, it's not just for Teslas. It'll be uh, 
it'll be a charging stations for all electric vehicles. So I'm happy to have that there. Um, if we can go forward, please, Kelly. We've seen the you've seen the square. We'll go we'll go one one more forward. Um, and many of you have already seen Low Country Fresh. It's such a great concept, great people, and it's really a great store. I encourage you if you hadn't been to to go there. They were they were pioneers to, into Washington Square, which I'm I'm very appreciative of. Um, the next the next slide just shows you. The, the, the schematic, the layout for uh, the, the townhomes. And the only point I'm, put, the point I'm making on this slide is just to say the whole idea was to create a streetscape. So there all the parking for the townhomes, the garages are in the back. So you won't see any, there is on-street parking in general in Washington Square, but um, for the townhomes, the parking is in the back. To, again, to create that streetscape throughout the whole uh, project. We can go forward, please. Um, the this just is next couple of just some pictures of what's been, you know, what's underway now. Um, and then the the next slide will just show you a little bit more detail on the uh, on on the on the the current uh, state of the Logan Homes project. If we can go forward, please. The that and that's this is just showing you the the connection. That's going to be made to uh, Buckwalter Place. We can go forward to one more. This is the current. If you hadn't been out there, this is where this is a couple of days ago. It's just showing you the first building on the square with the retail below and apartments above. I think I have one more picture of that, and probably enough construction. But that just shows you from the square. And then. These are the final elevations. That's that's looking from the square. And again, you can see retail on the bottom and the, the apartments above. And then the next slide is just showing you from the street, the, the main street, Bleecker Street. So what's when you when you look at um, if you look at the next slide, you see what's the, sort of the floor plan of the retail. And currently we are very fortunate to have uh, some great partners already. Um, entrepreneurs uh, in the first building. Uh, Palmetto Running is taking uh, the, the the premier spot up there, as as is Bertie James. Uh, both of whom, I'm sure many of you know, they're they're in uh, uh, they have stores in uh, Shelter Cove. Retail One at the end, the end cap is. Uh, I have a letter of intent with a casual eating. Uh, great again, another great entrepreneur, casual eating uh, restaurant. So in the middle, what, we, what do we have left? We have roughly three thousand square feet of retail, and that's between the retail one and between that and Bertie James. And then, um, and that can be split up in a number of ways, but that's that's what's left there. And then uh, the bottom retail, what we call retail six, is that's a um, any of you who are. Uh, you have great ideas. I'm trying to bring in a, 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 a more of a fine dining restaurant there. It, it will have a patio that will will be on the square, which will be out for outside eating. And um, it's got everything, you know, it's, it's it's set up for a restaurant. So that's my my focus right now is to is to find a, a great restaurant and then begin that that next building, which will look the footprint will look exactly like this, but just flipped over on the other side of the square. Um, and that's uh, we're excited. We we we're very fortunate to have great partners and and the Rolfs at Low Country Fresh and and 
and, and Logan Holmes, uh, you know, Palmetto Running, as I said, Bertie James, uh, Coastal States Bank, Frazier. We've just had a, we've had a great uh, group of people working for us and working with us, and we're looking forward to continuing the project and, and continuing to uh, to bring in you know great uh, retail and uh, restaurants and a lot of fun. I mean, the, one of the things that I didn't mention is on the square we've got it set up that uh with pavers in every corner that we can we can bring in food trucks we can have entertainment and that's our plan is to is to you know have a, a number of of uh uh you know events uh on the square as a kind of a destination so that's that's where we are and i'm happy to take any questions david thank you and uh, congratulations on your 16 charging stations that's uh, that's <laughs> phenomenal also, we appreciate you sharing with us some of uh, who your new tenants are going to be. Exciting presentation. We do have some questions. Uh, our first question is coming from Jackson, and Jackson's asking how Washington Square got its name. Well, I I came I moved down here from New York City about seven or eight years ago, and the place I always when I when I shop for Christmas or whatever I I went down to Greenwich Village and. That's where, uh, you know, my favorite kind of walking village was around Washington Square. And that always had the most interesting little shops that you'd never see anywhere else. I mean, a, a, kaleidosco a kaleidoscope sco store, that's all they sold and, you know, and different things like that. So to me, that was a, that was the inspiration is, is what, what, you know, what can, how can we create something that's, you know, not, not New York, but, but that has that kind of feel and excitement and, sense of discovery, if you will. So that's that's how it got, got its name. Thank you for the questions. Good one. All right, sir. Our next question is coming from Kathy. And Kathy's asking, what have you done with the project to ensure good traffic flow and infrastructure? Well, I mean, we've, you know, we've designed it. So again, that, that whole um, connection with Buckwalter Place is going to be important. Um, we've tried to, to have two Two areas of um, of entrance into the into the project. I think the the plan is eventually for there to be a light at the Mott Street the exit uh, Mott Street entrance, which is at the one at the north uh, of the project. That between that and Woodbridge is is the plan that the county has. Um, so I, I think that it's important to have that flow, and I think that the you know the, the we've tried to ensure that through you know through our planning. Thank you for that, David. Next question is coming from Susan. And Susan's asking, how do you envision the green space being a gathering area? Well, I, you know, we're, we, we hope to program it. Well, first of all, let me just say that, uh, like, for instance, Palmetto Running has, has some ideas to, uh, you know, start some races there to, um, and we're, we're actually trying to put a, uh, a pathway around, like there is around Buckwalter Place, a pathway, for, a running pathway around the whole project. And we've, we've submitted something to the Corps engineers to, to, to begin that process. But we, you know, I hope to have entertainment in there. You know, um, we can easily have food trucks, uh, food truck day. Uh, we can have, um, we could have a farmer's market. I mean, it's, it's going to take some, some creative, um, thinking, but I think we've got, uh, with that space, we can do a lot of things with it. And with power there and internet um, that's gonna, that, are, that are already available there, it's going to be, uh, you know, 
easy to do, I think. Thank you. Two more questions coming from uh, our listeners this morning for you, David. The next one is coming from Ethan, and Ethan is asking, when will the project be complete? I think we've got another three, you know, two to three years to finish the whole project. Um, but uh, that's a great question. I wish I knew the answer to it, but we're we're steadily moving along and it's picking up some steam. So I think uh, it's probably three years away, Ethan. You probably you probably think not soon enough. Well, it's it's been a, 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 many of people have have looked at it and said what, what's happening for many years, and it's it's been you know it's been slow, but that's the way it works. It's uh it's it seems to be gathering you know once you get some vertical going there, things things start to gather steam, and that's that's the good news. It's certainly exciting to see what's going on. Our last question is coming from Mark, and Mark is just wondering if you have any other projects going on in the area. You know, I'm asked that question a lot, Bill and Mark, uh, and my answer is always, I mean, I've looked at a number of things, but I feel like it's important to get this right and, and show what can be done, what we're trying to do. And uh, I think from there, you know, that that there'll be plenty of opportunity. I mean, I see plenty of opportunities, but I at this point, the answer is no, I'm focused on this project right now to make sure we do it correctly. We've had just a couple of others uh, send in and saying it looks like an exciting project and they're uh, uh, very happy to see it happening. So I'll share that well, with thank you. you. Thanks a lot. David, Appreciate David, it. Thank you. Uh, David Johnson, principal of Spaceside Partners and uh, certainly an exciting project. David, we'll look forward to hearing from you. Another update on down the road. Great. It's great to be with all of you. Thank you. All right. Well, it's time now for a, a big happy birthday to all of us. How about that? The town of Hilton Head Island is celebrating 360 years since uh, the island was first sighted by Captain William Hilton. And it's also the 40th year of the town's incorporation. We're gonna, it's all gonna be kicking off at the end of this month with some great celebrations planned. And here to tell us what's in store is the town's director of cultural affairs, Natalie Harvey. Natalie? Welcome, and uh, it's good to see you this morning as well. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, please excuse my background. I'm sitting in our beautiful Weston Resort here. Uh, we have our strategic planning with the town uh, council and, and staff here this morning. So I'm taking a little break to share some exciting news with you guys this morning. Uh, the 360-40 celebration is going to be almost three weeks of action here on Hilton Head Island. Um, we have set up a website, Hilton Head Island uh, 36040.org, which you can find from the town website, which will share a little bit about the vision of the town its past 40 years and honoring uh, the fact that this uh, community has such a rich history that many, many things happened here before our 40 years. So we're looking back into the history of Hilton Island. Um, we're really excited to have a, a couple of bookend community activities to celebrate. Uh, the first being our community picnic on August 26th. That will be at Low Country Celebration Park from four to eight. Uh, and we're going to have beautiful uh, Chamber of Commerce weather and get out to enjoy celebrating the town's anniversary with some live music, as well as um, 
lots of fun activities for the kids and over 25 community organizations out to share their services um, with our community. And this is also going to honor some of our longtime islanders. Um, we're looking forward to having uh, recognition of those who've lived here for 20, 30, 40, 60, 80 years, um, as well as a proclamation from the governor and uh, Senator Davis has agreed to attend as well. Um, we have the Voices of El Shaddai, Eric Casanova, Louise uh, Spencer and LaVon uh, Stevens, uh, Matt Robbins, Sarah Burns, and these guys and Quentin Smalls on the books for the entertainment. So it should be great. Um, and if then you go to our website, you'll see about a dozen other events that have already been on this calendar, um, including an interfaith service, a behind the scenes tour at Coastal Discovery Museum, and um, of course, the Chamber of Commerce is gonna be sponsoring Chalk the Walk this year as part of it. Uh, the Breeze Trolley, the Painted Rock Ride will kick us off that first weekend. And uh, there will be a special program about Walter Greer and his um, early efforts here to bring arts to our community um, that were um, in the form of the Red Piano Gallery and the Round Table. Um, and then at the very end, the last weekend, the 14th uh, through the 17th of September, we're really excited to be the presenting sponsor of the inaugural Hilton Head Island Jam Singer-Songwriter Festival. This is uh, bringing us days of music and over three dozen performers are going to be involved. There are a dozen different locations all around Hilton Head, um, but the finale for that will be a Saturday, September 16th, concert at the Low Country Celebration Park. Uh, the headliner is going to be Low Cash and it should be a really fun day to come out and enjoy some original live music. Um, our presenters of this, um, our partners in it, our BMI uh, music. And let's just say that the interest from the Nashville uh, scene has been strong for those artists to come here to Hilton Head Island. Uh, so they have their own website. You can go see the entire list of uh, performers who will be here. We have Grammy award-winning um, songwriters. We have you know number of top one uh, hits. Uh, they can visit HiltonHeadIslandJam.com. If you have any questions about those events, I'll also, if you wouldn't mind sharing later, um, you can always email um, our committee here with uh, the Hilton Head 360 celebration. It's 360-40 celebration at HiltonHeadIslandSC.gov. So that's a little bit of a taste of what's happening over these um, few weeks between August 26th and uh, September 16th. And I am um, really excited to share that with the chamber and appreciate the opportunity to share that with all of your business partners. Natalie, thank you. And thank you for breaking out of your meeting to uh, be with us this morning. A couple of questions that we have coming in. The, uh, the first one's coming from Olivia and Olivia is asking, about the Singer Songwriter Festival and inquiring how that came about. Uh, we, the, the town was approached uh, by uh, an organizer of this event and they have done similar uh, programs like this down in Key West for a number of years. And we're really thinking that Hilton Head Island was the perfect location to host such an event. Um, the really great thing is when I first heard music festival, I thought a three day long out in a field um, event with several stages. And this is actually a very different format. Uh, there are a dozen different locations, and excuse me while I look at my, my cheat sheet, uh, but they range in size from, we have Big Bamboo, the Jazz Corner, uh, outdoor performances at the Tiki Hut, 
Um, our friends here at the Weston Resort got very excited and they're gonna be hosting uh, songwriters at their pool as well as during the evening. Lincoln and South will be hosting programs during the day. Um, several events um, at the Liberty Oak in uh, Sea Pines, which is exciting. Um, the Weston again, Fish, Caligny Theater, the boardroom, uh, and of course the bank uh, will be joining us and then the Celebration Park. So there's a great variety of size of venues. So there's gonna be the opportunity for intimate performances with some of these songwriters where there'll be uh, several uh, on stage at a time, um, sharing stories, sharing backgrounds of their, their music. Um, and then there will be some events that will be more of a ticketed concert-like environment, uh, like at the Caligny Theater. All right, thank you. Uh, next is coming from Susan. And Susan's saying Crescendo is not too far down the road. What's planned for that celebration? Oh, Crescendo, that's right. I'm working on that too. Um, this is, you know, Hilton Head Island always has something exciting going on in the arts and cultural community. Uh, and so having the opportunity to have the 360 40 uh, several weeks before we kick off Crescendo, uh, that will be going on. Uh, the opening will be the 10th of October at Shelter Cove Community Park, which is always a great opportunity to enjoy getting to know some of our arts organizations, uh, getting a taste of what's to come during Crescendo. Uh, this year, we've invited a guest uh, band to be our closing act. They're called the Maharaja Flamenco Trio. Um, they've been described, described as sort of Nuevo Flamenco. Um, similar a little bit, I think, to some folks will know the Gypsy Kings. Uh, it's something sort of new and different for our community. That'll be a free event for everyone. Uh, we'll have over 100 different events going on. In fact, uh, we should be announcing some of our signature events in the next week or so. And then the culmination will be the Lantern Parade, which is Saturday, November the 18th. And this year we are looking to extend the route a little bit and end at Celebration Park with an opportunity to have a little bit of more space for that grand finale uh, party with the bands and the big puppets. Natalie, thank you so much. We're delighted to have you with us. Uh, as I stated at the beginning, your plate is full, but it's certainly a, a lot of fun and great things going on for, for all of us here on the island, Bluffton, and really the entire region. Thank you so much for uh, sharing today, and um, I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Natalie, thank you. Again, she's the Director of Cultural Affairs for the town of Hilton Head Island. I'll also mention that uh, for all the events, and she talked about many of them, others you can go on our website, which is Hilton Head, which is HiltonHeadBluftonChamber.org and find uh, all the events going on in the area. And that's HiltonHeadBluftonChamber.org. I want to thank each of you for being with us this morning. Uh, enjoy the rest of your summer. We'll be back at you next month with another stellar lineup. And please, if you have ideas on people you would like to hear from, speakers, let us know those, and uh, we're also very, very appreciative of all the questions that keep coming in. Have a great rest of your day, and we hope to see you soon. Thanks.